0: The following sermon is from New Life Baptist Church, where we exist to see lives transformed by the gospel as we make, mature, and mobilize disciples of Jesus. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at newlifeba.org. When I was a kid, as many of you, as at least many of the men in this room probably did, I grew up playing soldier, right? Playing war, and I was a soldier with my brothers, we would play, right? And and when we played this game, it was always pretend, right? It was fun. There were no consequences to this game, right? You'd always get the bad guy. Nothing bad would ever happen to you. And the victory was always easy and effortless. Well, I, I think many times in the Christian life, we, we can be prone to playing this same game, a childish game when it comes to the war that is going on around us and the war that is going on against our souls. Sometimes I feel like maybe we aren't either aware that there is a war taking place. Maybe we don't understand the stakes of this war or maybe we just don't think it's that serious of a war and therefore we don't really have to give, it, uh, give ourselves to the fight. But, but in our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul does remind us that the Christian life indeed is a life of war. But Paul's here, he's not merely using imagery as a clever way, the imagery of war as a clever way to, uh, to illustrate or to you know, make his sermon, his letter a little eloquent or engaging with the Ephesians. No, this is the reality that every single one of us faces every day, whether we know it or not. I, I don't. Maybe some of the parents in this room. How, how many of you? Uh, I don't know when they came out, but uh, as a kid, uh, had the the uh, the full armor of God costume. How many of you, either grandparents, parents, bought that for your kids? Uh, okay, no takers. I'm 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 alone here. Um, I thought there would be more involvement there, but uh, okay, all good. So, so for those of you who don't know, you can go to Mardell's, um, and so Mardell, Mardell's, uh, and you can buy this costume that that get that for the kids to dress up in the whole armor of God. So they got the helmet of salvation, got the breastplate of righteousness, got the shoes of readiness, got a belt of truth, got the shield of faith, and got the the, um, the sword of the spirit. Our, our children, my parents bought our kids this same costume. And we soon found out that Isaiah really likes the sword of the spirit and he likes wielding the sword of the spirit, especially on his brother and his sisters as well. So we had to maybe not a good parenting strategy in in discipleship, but we had to take away the sword of the spirit from Isaiah. Uh, uh, But uh, but all that to say, the reason I bring that up is I fear that within the church, maybe we have sentimentalized this idea of the armor of God. It's a well familiar passage to us if you've been raised in the church. And I think maybe we have even gone to the extent of sanitizing the fact again that we are engaged in a death or life war. Our prayer this morning is that the truths contained within in this passage would be transformed from a state of familiarity into a state of reality for you. This morning we will see We'll see two of the three points. We'll get to the third next week, but we will see that we are called by God's word to number one, be strong. Number two, to get ready. And then number three, we are called to fight. Be strong, get ready, and fight. Let's read Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 20. God's word says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to your truth, that you would awaken us to the reality of what is going on, invisibly, yes, but truly going on around us. And I pray that, Father, through our study this morning, that you would give us a vigilance, that you would give us a sober mindedness, that you would give us a readiness. Put on the whole armor that you have supplied for us and to wage the good fight of faith. Pray now, Father, that you would be gracious. You would give me grace. Give me words to speak. And Holy Spirit, minister to our hearts. Meet with us. Minister to us. Change us. Change us and use us. I pray in Jesus' name. amen. 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 First, we'll see this morning, church, that we are called to be strong i tried to draw attention to it when i was reading it but paul repeatedly says commands to us an imperative be strong but but you'll notice how does he qualify that command what does he say be strong in yourself is that what he says no right what does paul say be strong in the lord Right. And so in in life, there are typically two different types of people. And most likely you find yourself in one of these two groups. Maybe maybe one group is maybe more of the apprehensive group. And then there is another group. You are more assertive. Right. The type A's, the type B's, um, you know, all everything like that. And so if you're maybe in the more apprehensive group, maybe you don't naturally have a self confidence. Maybe you're not naturally assertive. And so if that is you this morning, let this be an encouragement that emboldens you. Notice the command again. It isn't to be strong. It's to be strong in the Lord. And if that weren't enough, Paul would go on to say and be strong in the strength of his might. And so market church, if you find yourself again, if you're maybe naturally not very courageous, listen, when the Lord commands you to do something, there is always always. Always an an accompanying promise from God that empowers your obedience. God will never call you to do something that he will not also give you the power to fulfill and obey. And so maybe that's you. Be encouraged this morning. You are to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, not your own. Maybe though you're on the other spectrum. Maybe you are naturally self-confident Maybe you're more assertive. Maybe you're the I can do it myself personality, the the bootstraps kind of guy, right? And if that is you, I want to encourage you this morning. Let this truth be a reminder that humbles you. That if you are strong in and of yourself, you will lose this fight every single time. Because the only way you can wage war effectively against our enemy is in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And to everyone in this room, our strength to fight this supernatural war, our strength, our power to overcome sin in our life, our ability to be effective in the work of the Lord, it cannot, it does not, it will not come from within you. It must come from above. It must come from the Lord. And so right now, Some of you may be entrenched in a sin struggle right now. Or maybe you know of someone who is, and this will affect how you counsel them through it. Right? No one else may know. You might be hiding it well from other people, but it's ever present between you and the Lord. Or maybe others of you, maybe you're struggling relationally in some capacity. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's with your children. Maybe it's a strained coworker relationship. Whatever it might be. And yet, maybe you're just trying to dig deeper and deeper, trying to find the strength to fix it on your own. You can't do it. You can't do it on your own. You must, you must, you must wholly cast yourself onto the Lord. Divest yourself of any self-trust and confess your absolute reliance on the Lord. Be strong, not in yourself, but be strong in the Lord. And listen, we cannot be strong in the Lord until we are weak in and of ourselves. We must first recognize our own impotence for this battle, for this war we are engaged in, before we can experience the empowering grace of God within our own lives. And so we'll get there next week, but that's why, church, we cannot separate the command in verses 10 and 13. We cannot separate that from the command in verse 18. You'll notice with me, verse 18, what does Paul say? He says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. The only way we can become strong in the Lord is by becoming more constant in prayer. We have to be strong in the Lord, but the way we do that church is by casting ourselves entirely reliant upon the Lord for his grace, for his strength, and for his empowering work, his Holy Spirit who lives within us be strong, be strong in the Lord. But also Paul tells us this morning that we're to get ready. Not only to strengthen, be strengthened, but to get ready. And you will see that in verses 11 and 13 through 17. And notice what Paul says here. He says, put on the whole armor of God. And so we have six different pieces of this armor in verses 13 through 17. And it, it's not an all la carte kind of option, right? I'll take this. I'll leave that one. You know, I, I really like the, the, the breastplate of righteousness, but you know, the shoes of readiness to, to make known the gospel of peace. Like I'll, I'll cast that one to the side for now. No, it's not an a la carte, It's all or nothing kind of armor. We are to be clothed head to toe in the whole armor of God if we are to endure and overcome the schemes of the devil. Because listen, make no mistake, he hates you. The devil, he hates you. He's always, and he's actively on the hunt to kill, to steal, and to destroy you. And so if you go into this battle, if you go into this fight without your armor from the Lord, listen, he will win every single time. He wants your ruin and your destruction. Right. Maybe maybe an example is right. If you're called up to go into war and and you think, oh, no big deal. Like, I'm sure nothing bad will happen to me. And you leave behind your Kevlar and your weapon. That's that's foolish. That's asinine. But what what that what that reality is, what happens for many people throughout their days in the Christian life. You leave your Kevlar, you leave your weapon behind as you go into this war. Or maybe an, another analogy, maybe. Maybe you're just completely, maybe, and many of us are just oblivious to this, right? Maybe that that would be something similar to living in Ukraine right now and just going about your days as if nothing is happening around you. Again, that's foolish. It's unwise. We have to be aware and we have to arm ourselves in the full armor of God. I I know there's a saying, right? Ignorance is bliss. But in this war that we are engaged in, be sure of this. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is death. We must become sobered to the reality of the war we are engaged in. It, if it is a spiritual battle, and it is, then we must equip ourselves with spiritual armor and with spiritual weaponry. That's why we put on the whole armor of God. And so before we go through the each one, and we'll get through three of them this morning, uh, we'll get, well, that's, to, that's to get you back here next week. So, uh, so we'll go through the final three, but we'll go through three of them this morning. But before we go through each one, notice whose armor it is that we're putting on. It, it, it is a simple, right? It's a simple observation, but incredibly powerful. We are putting on God's very own armor. Right Every year, uh, the United States Department of Defense, it's kind of shocked me, uh, they spend about $100 billion every single year on research and development. I mean, I don't, we don't even have a frame of reference for what a, million do- for what a billion is, much less $100. Um, but they spend $100 billion every year on research and development for new, cutting-edge weaponry. Right. They, they, they spend billions of dollars trying to find new ways to gain and to maintain the upper hand against other militaries around the world. But listen, church, we I have good news for you this morning. We don't have to constantly iterate our armor that God has given us. It has been tried and true battle tested and it has been hand selected by the omnipotent and sovereign God of the universe because it's his very own armor. So we can know that when we put on this armor, this whole armor of God, we will, we will be protected against the schemes. Although it doesn't mean that nothing, no suffering will ever take place in our life. That will happen. It, uh, the, Peter in his epistle, he says, suffering is to be expected as Christians. So that doesn't mean that bad things won't happen to us. But what it does mean is that God will preserve us. God will keep us through the difficulty we face in life. So we're protected against the schemes of the devil, but then also... We're able to go on the offense to push back darkness and to advance God's kingdom. And so since this is God's armor, Paul uses imagery from the Old Testament that describes God as a warrior king outfitted in the same armor. And so as we go through, I'll share an Old Testament passage uh, where where Paul is pulling from, uh, speaking of the types of armament that we have in the Lord. First, let's see the belt of truth. And so speaking of the coming Messiah, Isaiah prophesied this in Isaiah 11, verse 5. He says, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. And faithfulness, that word faithfulness can also be translated as truth. It shall be the belt of his loins. And so this, for the Roman soldier, this belt that would go around them, it was usually made of leather. And this soldier's belt was essential, right? Because it held together the tunic and also it secured the soldier's sword. It ensured that he was unimpeded when he went marching. And so he, as he buckled it on, it gave him a sense of hidden strength and confidence, right? It wasn't the offensive weapon, but it's what held everything together. Save that for a little bit. So from the very beginning, church, the devil has been known as the father of lies. And so listen, only the truth of God's word can dispel the, dev- the devil's lies and only the truth of god's word can set us free jesus said in john chapter 8 if you abide in my word and if you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and what the truth will set you free so this is why we must give ourselves to serious study of scripture this is why we're going through as a church a two-year bible reading plan throughout the bible we we, we want to give ourselves to the serious study of scripture because it's through truth, through our obedience, our submission to the truth, that we find freedom in life. We must abide in the words of our Lord, and we must meditate upon his truth day and night. Right right now, we live in a day and age of extreme relativism, right? Where absolute truth, where absolute truth is rejected, and personalized truth is celebrated. What do I mean by personalized truth? Well, I, I've had a lot of discussions with people in sharing the gospel And I've heard this response many times. Well, that's great, but that's your truth. That's your truth. That's not my truth. It's fine for you to believe that, but that's just your truth that you hold to. But make no mistake. There there is no such thing as your truth and my truth. There's only one such thing as the truth. Or as Paul would say it in Ephesians chapter four, the truth as it is in Jesus And so that's why when we study God's word, when we study theology, when we study doctrine, it matters. We are to be a people of truth because we are to be a people of the book. And so Paul likens truth to a belt because truth, it ties, it holds, it fastens. I mean, a belt ties, holds, fastens everything together. And so if we begin to loosen the truth a little bit, definitions on what truth is, If we maybe begin to capitulate to the world's claims of relativism or worse, if we lose the truth, then nothing else matters. Because that is the foundation upon which everything is built. We are in a war for truth. Make no mistake about it. And therefore, we must fight the good fight of faith girded up by the truth of God's word. So we're to put on daily church the belts of truth. But what else does Paul say? How are we to arm ourselves also? He says we are to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And in Isaiah chapter 59, it, it, Isaiah speaks of God putting on righteousness as a breastplate. And so again, when, when we read the Bible, when we're, especially the New Testament, we're to read the New Testament in light of the Old Testament testament they're they're not disconnected from one another the new testament is the fulfillment of the old and so maybe i know when when we're reading through our two-year bible reading plan some of you maybe you're sludging through the old testament but listen when you understand the old testament better you will understand the new testament better it is one story that god has been writing from before the foundation of the world and it's about his work of salvation among all peoples in this world and so The Old Testament helps us to read the New Testament better. Wasn't in my manuscript, but uh, um, but but why does Paul say uh, Isaiah 59? Right. God putting on the righteousness as a breastplate. And so I I believe that Paul here, he's speaking both to and I'm going to throw out a word, but hang with me. I'm going to define the word. So hang with me. I think Paul is speaking both here to the imputed righteousness of Jesus and also to a way of righteous living in the Christian life. And so what that, what's that big, fancy theological word, imputed righteousness? What does that mean? All that means, imputed means something is counted towards something else. Something is reckoned. Something is placed on another. And so when we say the imputed righteousness of Jesus, it means that when Christ died for our sins, Listen, our sins were reckoned, our sins were counted, and our sins were placed upon Jesus Christ. And so because he bore the punishment in full for our sin, this is the good news, church. Not only was our sins imputed onto Jesus, his righteousness is now counted, reckoned, placed upon us as well. His righteousness is now our righteousness. And so through the cross, the king of glory, he took our tattered, our filthy, our soiled, our sin-soiled rags of sin, and he placed them on his perfect self, and he took his pure and his spotless robe of righteousness. And if you are trusting in Jesus this morning, he has placed his robes of righteousness on your shoulders. You're covered in his perfect righteousness, such that now when you stand before a holy, omnipotent God, all he sees when you stand before him is Jesus. Wherever you might find yourself this morning, whether you are a Christian or whether you might still not yet be a Christian and the Bible says you're still dead in your sin, wherever you might be, hear me, your only hope this morning is the righteousness Of Jesus Christ. And so, with everything within me, I say this morning, cling to Christ. Cling only to Christ and cling always and ever to Jesus Christ. He is our righteousness. He's our only hope now and our only hope for all eternity. The Bible, it would put it this way that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ (laughs) Jesus. And that since we have been justified, since we've been declared righteous by God through faith, we have peace with God through God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so one thing interesting about this breastplate of righteousness, what, 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 what is it primarily guarding? It's guarding your heart, right? But listen, there are going to be days when you do not feel as though you are righteous, there are days when I know and I do not feel as though I am righteous before God. That Jesus' righteousness covers me. There's going to be days when your sin is ever present before you. When you don't, maybe don't feel yourself to be a child of God or that God could really love you. To make the matters worse, our enemy, the great accuser, he's going to hurl accusation after accusation after accusation against you. Accusations such as, how could you ever call yourself a Christian after what you have done? You you think God would love you? Really? You think God would love you after that? You're nothing but a hypocrite. You say you believe this, but you're nothing but a hypocrite. The accuser will hurl accusation after accusation against you. And so to borrow from him, when that happens, church, listen. Listen. When Satan tempts you to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. So because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul, it is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and to pardon me. Martin Luther, he once said, he said this, When the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, you tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. And So that's why every day you must arm yourself with the breastplate of righteousness. That's why we must preach the truths of the gospels, of the gospel to ourselves every single day, and that's why we must remember who we are in Christ and whose we are in Him as well. Christ died to be your righteousness, but also Christ died to make you righteous elsewhere the uh, the apostle paul he would say what then shall we say are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? now that we are clothed in the righteousness of jesus do we, we get to just live however we would want to live paul says by no means how, how can you who died to sin still live in it and, and someone once said this they said that the completeness of pardon for past offense and the integrity of character that belong to the justified life they're to be woven together into an impenetrable armor. We are righteous in Jesus. Therefore, we are to live righteous lives in him. Christ is our righteousness and we are to be righteous in him in our lives. The breastplate of righteousness, it guards us against the frontal assaults of the enemy. And then finally, the, the, the final armor we'll look at this morning is the shoes of Readiness. Verse 15, Paul says, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Isaiah 52, again, building on this Old Testament imagery, Isaiah says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Now, anybody else in this room think it maybe a bit strange, like we're talking this military equipment, and then Paul's talking about shoes here, right? At first, I was like, okay, that, that seems a bit, a bit of an outlier among all of these things but, but it's interesting, right? The, the shoes that Roman soldiers would wear into battle, they were made of leather. They're, they're left the, they left the toes open and free, and there were heavy studded soles on the bottom. And, and, then, and then they were tied to the ankles and shins with more or less like some, some leather straps. And so these shoes, they equipped the soldier for long marches and for a solid stance, while they did not impede the mobility, they prevented the foot from slipping. And so maybe you've seen uh, videos of it, renditions of it, but the legion, right, they would link arm in arm and they would fight in a line against the enemy together. And so these shoes that, that Paul is playing off of, it gave the Roman soldiers stability and it gave them mobility. There, there is, uh, it, it is good, right, to be wearing the right type of foot, uh, footwear for what you are doing. When I was 7th uh, or 8th grade, I, forget, I think it was 8th grade, I, I ran cross country. I ran cross country throughout junior high and high school. And my parents, we, we thought we bought a good pair of shoes for cross country. But the problem, and I'll, the brand will remain nameless, uh, the guilty will go nameless. Uh, but uh, what, what the shoe did, it caused my foot to overpronate and overrotate in such a way, don't ask me how, but it caused a pretty intense bruise, uh, bone bruise on my heel. And so every single time I would run, we didn't know this till after the fact that the shoe was causing it, but every time I would run, I would feel this pain within my heel. And during the meets, the races, uh, you, you have flats on, and so there's no support whatsoever. So the adrenaline's going during the meet, right? You don't feel a thing. But then after the fact, I, mean, I was immobilized for the rest of the day. Incredibly painful. The, the right shoe, the right footwear matters for what we are doing. And so... What Paul is speaking to here, the footwear we have, the shoes of readiness, they give us a stability. And so listen, the, the, only the truth of the gospel can give us stability in life in the face of battle. John, John Stott, he said this, he was a, a pastor in the 20th century. He said this, if we have received the good news, and if we're enjoying the, the peace with God and with one another, which it brings, we have the firmest possible foothold from which to fight evil. These shoes of readiness, they give us a stability, a staunchness. I don't know if that's a word, but it gives us a staunchness to this battle. We, we are to strap on the shoes of readiness because they give us stability to withstand the attacks of the enemy. But also these shoes of readiness, they give us an ability. They, they make us mobile for the war. They're meant to give us mobility to go on the offensive. Romans chapter 10, and if you were here this past Wednesday, David walked through this passage. Romans chapter 10, it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how, how are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how, how are they to preach unless they are sent? And then Paul quotes here again, Isaiah 52. He says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news and so listen as we go about our days we are to live with a an acute awareness and readiness for the opportunities god will give us to share the good news of the gospel with others we we should live with the gospel at the tip of our tongue throughout our days because we know that there are literally billions of people in our world today there are tens of thousands of people here in Broken Arrow and the Tulsa Metro who are unchurched. And there are thousands of unreached people groups all around the world who have yet to hear the name of Jesus. These people are living in hostility against God. They're not at peace with God. They're in hostility with God, separated from him because of their sin. And they're destined, the Bible says, for an eternity and hell. And their only hope of salvation is by hearing and believing in this gospel of peace. The king has come and he's ready to make peace with you. But people need to hear this truth in order to believe and receive the treaty the king is offering. As David Platt says, he, he says, The church is plan A and there is no plan B. Church, we are God's emissaries, we are God's ambassadors in proclaiming the good news that Jesus saves to our family members, to our friends, to our coworkers, to our neighbors, and to the billions around the world who have yet to hear the name of Jesus. The way they are going to hear the gospel is through you and through me. Don't, don't wait for someone else to come alongside and share the gospel with your family. Sometimes we are the answer to our own prayers. God has given you his spirit. Therefore, he has given you the responsibility and the privilege to share the good news that Jesus saves with others. So may God burden us with the lostness surrounding us and the mission he has given us. May God embolden and empower us as we strap on the shoes of readiness to make known the gospel of peace to those he brings into our lives. I think it goes without saying, right? But you can't fight in slippers, right? You need something a bit more sturdy. We must go about our days with a preparation and a readiness and an expectation that today I am going to be used by the Lord. Let's put on the shoes of readiness this week and look for opportunities to be used by him. So that's why during our corporate prayer, that's why I prayed those, through those four C's and we're going to not weekly, but regularly pray through those four C's that God would give us a greater comprehension in the gospel that God would give us a greater clarity in the gospel, that God would give us a greater conviction in the gospel, and that God would give us a greater courage to share the gospel with other people. Every morning, we must strap on the the shoes of the gospel because they give us stability to withstand the schemes of the devil and because they give us mobility to share the truth that Jesus saves to all who will hear. So next week, we're going to continue through our study of the armor of God as we look at the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. And we'll also look for strategies that God gives us to fight this war of, uh, against the principalities and the rulers and authorities of, uh, of the supernatural realm. God gives us strategies, ability to do that. So we're going to look at that next week. But this week, I want to encourage you, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And I want to encourage you practically this week, every single morning, as you're getting dressed for the day, just piggyback onto that and pray that, that, that God would clothe you with his armor. Right. Pray that God would give you the, the, the breastplate of righteousness. Pray that God would give you the, the put on the, the shoes of readiness to make known the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, the belt of truth, that God would clothe you with these things. I'll end our time by asking this question to you this morning. Do you know that you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ? A a general belief or understanding about Jesus in the gospel will not save you. The Bible says that, right, even the demons believe truth, and yet they tremble. No, the Bible says we must repent of our sin. We must turn from our way of current living and we must cast ourselves fully onto the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in him alone for salvation. So again, I ask, can you confidently proclaim this truth, confess it from the deepest part of your being, the Lord, he is my righteousness. No matter where you may find yourself in life, no matter who you are or what you have done, Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So I want to invite you this morning, if you don't yet know Christ, maybe you've gone to church your whole life, but you don't yet know him personally and truly. Call upon him right now. Take him at his word and he will save you. Jesus, he changes everything and he can change your life as well. If you would come to him for salvation, let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you have any questions or if we can serve you in any way, please connect with us at newlifeba.org.